Welcome. Crack open a tepid Genesee and watch the pictures as they travel through your neighbor's Wi-Fi. It's the Rees Company. I'm Steve Rees, the bull of American broadcasting, alongside the great Chris Morganti. How are you, Chris? Good. Very excited this week? Oh, yeah. We have a fine film ahead of us in the movie of the week of the week. It's called The City from 1977. We'll get to that in just a bit, but first, we have breaking news. I believe uh, our war correspondent, you want to tell the folks this guy's name? Uh, our war correspondent in the Ukraine, Hugh Munguspecker, has a new report for us. You said the Ukraine again. I, I, I try, I've been trying to stop myself. Well, uh, all right, fine. <laughs> uh, shall we go to him now? Yeah, sure. Okay, here's uh, our war correspondent in the Ukraine. <laughs> What's his name, Chris? Humongous Pecker. Mm. Good evening, I'm Humongous Pecker, live from Ukraine. As the war here continues to escalate, NATO alliance member nations t continue to increase their own war footing. In France today, a meeting of all their top generals was held and we understand they already have a plan of surrender. And in Italy, Prime Minister Draghi today announcing that his country will begin to mobilize troops just as soon as they decide which side of the conflict they will be on. In Poland, reports of the deployment of their much vaunted submarine to the Baltic Sea turned out to be premature, as we understand there was an issue with flooding around the hatch area. Also reports of lighting problems aboard the submarine, which led to maintenance crews being dispatched, but we understand it will now take three times as many men to change the light bulbs. And across the Atlantic, NATO member Canada has announced they will be sending troops to Europe as well as soon as curling season is over leading the world to question when exactly curling season is and if it is, in fact, a sport. But it's not just NATO that prepares for the conflict. Israel preparing to send troops north into Europe, dispatching a convoy of their armored personnel vehicles manufactured by the Volkswagen Corporation, leading many to ask how many Jews can you fit in a Volkswagen. Also, there were reports of additional Israeli troops being sent by canoe, but really? Unlike them, the canoes did tip, so troops are not expected to arrive. Uh, this just in, uh, really, the Congo. I I'm not reading this, guys. Live from Ukraine, I'm Humongous Peck. Well, it seems like uh, the crew is having some fun at Hugh's expense over there. Yeah, they're definitely playing a joke on the poor guy. Yeah, you, you would think that you know, if they're in a war zone, maybe they'd take things seriously, but apparently not. Well, maybe they're just blowing off steam because of all the stress. I suppose. That's a possibility. Yeah. yeah. Shall we get into the movie of the week of the week? Let's do it. Okay, let's see the cool intro. As I mentioned a moment ago, the movie of the week of the week is The City, aired on January 12th, 1977 on NBC. It was produced by a guy called uh, Quinn Martin. Are you familiar with his work? Mm, I've heard the name. Yeah, I think he did a lot of detective shows. He was very wow. prolific in production in the era. 
this was intended as a pilot for a TV series. Yeah. That NBC did not uh, pick up. It has uh, a similarity to another Quinn Martin production right around the same time uh, called Tales of the Unexpected. Okay. Though uh, that show focused on horror and sci-fi stories, this uh, movie does not. Um, both The City, which we're going to watch, and Tales of the Unexpected, they both featured opening and closing narration from William Conrad. Okay. Now, uh, you heard the narration. You thought it was very bizarre. It, it does not fit the movie. Uh, now that you're telling me that this was a proposed pilot, maybe it makes more sense because it's so it, it's almost like the beginning of a 2001 Space Odyssey hmm. from the perspective it takes. And, and it's, it, it doesn't, it's nothing specific. And uh, it takes you a while to figure out what they're even talking about. Um, but if, you, if it was intended to be like a series of vignettes that take place in the city, which it turns out is Los Angeles, then it makes a little bit more sense. But just for this one thing, it makes no sense at all. And I think the aspect of uh, the city William Conrad uh, broached in the narration was um, uh, transportation, specifically the automobile. Right. And how Los Angeles is the, the first city the first major city to arise in America following the invention of the automobile. Right, which doesn't date well because, you know, this is uh, 50 years ago. So now you're like, well, what city is it? What are they talking about? <laughs> it must have been more obvious in the 70s. I don't know. But so uh, perhaps each episode was going to focus on a different aspect of life in Los Angeles. Right. Then that opening narration would make sense. Yeah. But uh, now why do I know the name William Conrad? Uh, he was TV's The Fat Man when we were kids. As in Jake and the Fat Man? As in Jake and the Fat Man, which means there was a time his agent went to him and he said, you know, there's a role out there. It's perfect for you. Yeah. Title role. <laughs> you're ideal. In fact, uh, once I mention your name, you're probably not even going to have to audition. <laughs> what is it? Uh, well, just, just, just go. So I'm playing Jake? Just show uh, up at the set. No. <laughs> no. Oh, man. <laughs> <sighs> that must have been a weird day for both parties. Um, the city, the motion picture, and the uh, city itself that is the subject is very star-studded. Yes. Um, for example, Mark Hamill plays a key role. Um, this was aired the same year Hamill hit the big screen after being plucked from failed pilot obscurity to play the lead role in the long-awaited follow-up to Revenge of the Sith. Yes. Robert Forster, uh, he plays a detective. And uh, you know that name, too. You know the face. Actually, no. He was unknown to me. Um, he uh, was nominated for an Oscar because um, uh, Tarantino put him in Jackie Brown. Never saw it. And he also uh, played a, a key role in the uh, Arrested Development universe. Not Arrested Development, Breaking Never. Bad universe. Never saw that either. Okay, well, um, that's where folks uh, today would most likely know him. Uh, also, By the way, before everyone questions my credentials to be reviewing movies that I just said I never saw either of those things. Uh, I'm not a Quentin Tarantino fan, so uh, I watched a few of his things enough to conclude that uh, I don't really care for it. So criticize me as you wish for that. Well, Robert Forrester, he plays the detective, and um, he had already played a TV detective, uh, Banyan, a few years earlier, and uh, he was the star of that show. So um, again, this movie was supposed to be a pilot. Um, following a tragedy which we'll witness, this is part of the plot, uh, Robert Forrester, he's forced to work his first case with a new partner. That partner is played by another star of this film, Don Johnson. Right. And uh, he's still, Don Johnson is still 
seven years away from landing his break, breakthrough role as Sonny Crockett in the ridiculous Miami Vice. Now, was it his breakthrough role or his only role? Because I have not seen him in anything since. <laughs> Nash Bridges ran for a long time on CBS. Oh. Cheech Marin. Never saw it. Okay. <laughs> Do you have a TV, Chris? <laughs> <clears throat> now, you must be thinking, no one's playing hockey in Dallas tonight because all the stars are in this film. <laughs> well, we're not even done. A man with so unique a resume, all I have to do is list these three credits, and you'll know to whom I refer. Okay. Country singer, Bond villain, sausage magnate. Bob Evans? No. Oh. Jimmy Dean. Ah. The only man in history who fits that profile. Yeah. Now, um, you I, got gonna... ve- I got very confused. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> First of all, I, didn't, I saw the name Jimmy Dean in the opening credits. Um, but I did not connect that to anyone of any consequence. About three quarters of the way through, I realized, oh, this is the guy that makes breakfast sausage. And I mistakenly thought that it was the breakfast sausage that I love and eat all the time. And it turns out that is actually Bob Evans sausage. So I was very confused to this whole thing. And we're all very hungry. So I, I did promise some, some sausage, but when I realized it wouldn't be the same kind, it seemed kind of pointless. <laughs> And I'm not going to bring Jimmy Dean's sausage in here because, frankly, it's not very good. Sorry. Okay, so uh, shall we dive into this film? Yeah. Okay, Mark Hamill plays a gentleman called Eugene Banks. Um, He's a gas station attendant, and he's reading something when he gets interrupted by a hothead attorney who has the nerve to pull up to a gas station and demand fuel. Now, hold on, hold on. Banks doesn't uh, come to his service, so the man starts pumping his own gas. Now, I know that's a big don't at a full-service station, but it could be said that Banks overreacts to this development. Let's take a look. And you know what? Before we start that, uh, it's important to note that uh, he wasn't... Mark Hamill's character wasn't reading, like, a a novel or something. He was reading a letter that was just mailed to him, which you think is of no consequence, but almost an hour later, you find out (laughs) why that matters. Yeah, we do. All right. Yeah, so that's how we're introduced to Mark Hamill's character, yeah. Eugene Banks. Yeah, now we won't see either of those other two characters again in this film, but uh, they're, they're pretty quick on the uptake. Are you crazy? You are indeed crazy. <laughs> how much of that car did he have to smash? How many people did he need to kill before they concluded, you know what? I believe you are crazy. <laughs> so now um, we're going to meet Lieutenant Lewis. Okay. Now, he's the character played by Robert Forster. He and his partner, Bert, Who's uncredited, by the way, which tells you about the longevity of Bert in right. this uh, series, proposed series. Um, he, he's like a low rent uh, Sonny from The Godfather. <laughs> like, he has a James Conn vibe going. <laughs> well, uh, Lewis and Forrester, I'm sorry, Forrester plays Lewis. Okay. I'm confused already. Yeah, it's a confusing. lot of characters in this movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Robert Forrester is Lieutenant Lewis, his partner is simply Bert. 
And uh, they're called to the scene. Now, Bert isn't feeling well. And this is an undercurrent in the beginning of this film that's uh, constantly brought back up about how he's, he, he seems to have, like, the Spanish flu. I think he had the uh, first documented case of COVID is what we're seeing on here. <laughs> it is kind of funny to see him interacting with so many people and nobody freaking out. <laughs> Those were different times, you know? Yeah. So um, they, the two uh, detectives have been out all night doing undercover work. I don't know either because they, they, uh, Bert says something about uh, it's his last garden party. So I, I Googled it. I tried to, is that like a, like a law enforcement term, slang for something? Ah, uh, like the sporting life? Yeah, yeah but it, it turned out uh, no, I got no results on this. Yeah. So I'm assuming that they I were I bet you got some really interesting results when you looked up garden party. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you didn't say I was at a lemon party. And also some of them related to law enforcement. So um, the two have been out all night doing undercover work, and uh, let's, uh, let's meet these folks. Sounds beautiful. Uh, oh, Matthew, I think I'm gonna die. <coughs> well, think of it this way, Bert. In case you happen to die from it, at least you're all dressed up for the occasion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that it frost. Yeah. So, um, anything you'd like to say about that, Chris? Uh, no. <laughs> it explains itself. So they talk to Banks's boss. Banks is Mark Hamill. Um, he provides them with Banks's address. Since the two detectives haven't slept in more than 24 hours, a guy called Brian, uh, Sergeant Brian Scott, that's Don Johnson, he uh, meets them at the assailant's residence to help with the investigation. Well, Banks, he's not yet home. He rents a room from Mr. Diaz, who allows detectives to access the property. Sergeant Scott goes through Banks' belongings, including his record collection, you know, for evidence. <laughs> By himself. He's a country boy, all right. Look here, we got Waylon Jennings, Merle Haggard, Willie Nelson. Here's somebody he didn't think quite so highly of. Wes Collins. That's what's on here. Wes Collins' Hard Times. It's one of my favorites. Chris? I don't know. Okay, I just, just in case you had anything you wanted to say about this. Yeah. The, um, the attorney at the gas station who was complaining about the bad service. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Mark Hamill showed him. Right. Uh, he died from his injuries. Right. Now, yeah, a, a wrench to the face. Uh, a very large wrench. It's, yes. Yeah. That'll definitely do it. Now, meanwhile, Banks, he's still on the run. In the meantime, he buys a ticket uh, for a bus tour to see the homes of celebrities. Mm-hmm. The driver, who is also the guide, announces that they're coming up on the home of country star Wes Collins. Now, you may remember, we just saw the torn up Wes Collins album cover on the floor of Banks' uh, apartment. Um, so, when he hears they're about to see Wes Collins' house, Banks races toward the window. Coming up on your right now is the home of the country western singing star, Wes Collins. Big West, as he is owned by the millions of people who buy his records, lives here with his wife and son. You've all seen Big West on television and heard his many hits like California Gold Rush, Hard Hitting Woman, This Road Was Made for Ramblin', and Down the Line. 
Yeah. You know, hard hitting woman is a favorite of mine. Now, what, uh, what Jimmy Dean song would I know? A Big Bad John. Well, that's just awful. <laughs> well, that's the one he's best known for. I okay. can't name any other. All right. But uh, I do like Hard Hitting Woman. That's a Wes Collins song. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not familiar with that one? I'm not, no. Well, I'll sing some for you. She's a hard hitting woman, called me lousy, put up her dukes, and she rounded my rousy over you. Oh, okay. Did you get that from the film? <clears throat> no. Okay. All right. So once Banks has seen the uh, West Collins estate, he wants to get off the bus. The driver tells him he can't let him off. Bank opens the doors anyway. Banks opens the doors anyway and brandishes a knife. The driver pulls away per Banks' demand. Banks returns to the West Collins home and approaches the gate, but he's greeted by the menacing dog we just saw in that clip. Uh, he retreats, Banks does, Hitches a ride on a nearby busy road and ends up near his home where detectives await him. Lewis spots him walking down the street. Again, that's Robert Forster. He and Bert, they didn't even give him a surname. <laughs> he and Bert run after him on foot as Scott gives chase in the cop car. Bert catches up to Banks, who has fled to a street festival. Now, and we saw some of this, the whole deal with Bert up to this point. We talked about it. Uh, he's not feeling well. Right. Yeah, he's coming down with something. Um, and Bert has Banks cornered at the entrance of an alley. Let's see this. He's just coughing all over everything. He's drawn and quartered today. <laughs> By the way, can we, can we stop it? Did we see the uh, that he was tipped off by a girl who I would guess is maybe five years old, <laughs> if that? Yes. Yeah. So already he's looking like a very competent. While he was engaged in coughing <laughs> all over the merchandise, she was keeping an eye on the purse. Yeah. <laughs> I got a hot tip from a five-year-old. I'm hot on the trail. <laughs> in fairness, he was at a garden party all night. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. It's all over. Come on. Now, now, can we stop right. it again? I believe at this point you might want to maybe call for some backup when you've got the uh, the perp cornered, right? And you know there's two other cops in the immediate area. But he ma he makes an interesting decision here to uh, decide that he's harmless and just talk him out. So. That's a boy. Come on. All right. Well, <laughs> as you said, worst cop ever, huh? Yeah. Some some bad police work right there. Chuck Barris, LAPD. <laughs> so Banks flees yet another scene and gets into a cab. I'm not really sure what his strategy is here or... Um, how he got away with this. Where to? Oh, uh, West Side, uh, Wilshire and Beverly Boulevard. Well, that's kind of a long trip. Maybe you better show me you got the bread, huh? Why? 
Oh, honey, I've been driving this bucket for a long time. And I've seen one too many of your kind who wants to ride uptown, and then they come up short. So if you got it, get it up. And if you don't, pile out before I start the meter. All right. You lousy punk, what do you think you're doing? You just drive this thing. Look, somebody's liable to see that thing and call a cop. Around here, listen, everybody around here is just a little bit too interested in themselves. Now drive! Now I'm confused about something. I didn't notice this on my initial watch of this, but he hitchhiked to this, whatever it was, market, street fair type of deal. And now he's hijacking a cab ride back to where he hitchhiked from. Am I wrong about this? He's going, uh, I guess, uh, back to the area where uh, West Collins lives. Yeah. But that's where he left from. Right. So what was his purpose in going to this, this place we just saw him at? I guess in the hopes of getting away. From what? Well, he was, uh, the cops were chasing him. They're chasing him all over town. They caught up with him. He had to flee them. But he has an objective in mind. So oh, he has to go now I remember. complete his mission. We, uh, I mean, it seems like he should have just stuck around that guy's house. But okay. Now I remember he, uh, he was chased in between those two scenes we just saw, right? Right. Now, yeah. um, in this scene we just watched, what is his strategy? What is wrong with this woman? Right. He's in the back seat. He has a knife at basically her abdomen. If he stabs her, how is he going to get control of the vehicle? You know, it's almost as if he's crazy. <laughs> well, I think she's crazier because she could have just got out of the pig and cab. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense to the bull. So uh, this is poor thinking on everybody's part. Uh, Bert, you know, the cop who was stabbed, he died from his wounds. Now, uh, Lieutenant Lewis, who... I, are we sure about that? Because uh, that was not a very large knife. And he only got stabbed once. I believe he died from whatever illness he had that <laughs> was causing him to cough. And, uh, yeah. and yeah. in 1977, you could take any guess you want. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he died. Uh, Lieutenant Lewis, in the foot chase, he aggravated an old knee injury from a preseason college football. Right. Which plays into the plot not at all, which <laughs> makes me think the actor legitimately hurt his knee <laughs> and they had to write it into the script. Well, Lewis is dedicated, especially now, to avenge his partner's death. Right. And uh, he refuses to go home. He stays on the case. So uh, now he and um, Brian Scott, Don Johnson, they, um, they become the crime-fighting team of Crockett and Banyan. Right. Now, uh, meantime, Banks returns to an earlier scene, the home of Wes Collins. Now, the country star, he's not home, but his wife is, and so is his son, played by Adam Rich, you may have seen on Eight is Enough or Pharmacy Security Footage. Never saw it. Now, I hope this isn't a real dog. Yeah, that'd be... Donnie. Donnie? Donnie? Mommy, Mommy! Donnie! Oh, God, baby! Are you okay? What happened? (gasps) I want to see Wes Collins. Why? Well, that's between him and me. Who are you? That's between him and me, too. Hey, hey, wait, wait. Can we pause it right there? Where'd he go? Is that, uh, is that Meredith Baxter? (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. So um, <laughs> he doesn't harm the co- the rest of the Collins family. Um, just he, the dog. Just the dog. He takes the car to, to um, Wes Collins's car to the studio where Collins is working and claims that Collins asked him to drop it off. The guard directs him to where he can find Collins. Banks enters the studio, and uh, after maybe 30 seconds, Collins goes to the gents, and Banks corners him in there. You're Wes Collins. Yeah, last count I had, and that's who I was. I've been listening to you most of my life. Well, I thank you. I didn't say I liked it. Wah, wah. Trent, you didn't, did you? No. I used to, though. I used You'll to a lot. Me, young fella. You don't know who I am, do you? <laughs> well, should I know who you are? Now, this is the letter that he was reading in the opening scene when he attacked the Porsche. The letter he was trying to read. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And all those songs you sang. All that sweet trash about being alone, having a hard time. All right, so uh, Collins puts up a fight. Yeah. There's a bit of a struggle. Yeah. And uh, he does get stabbed. He has minor cuts to his arm. Now, not sure how clear this was to viewers, but um, the letter Banks handed him, as you said, was the same letter he was reading, but uh, the contents of the letter, I think it's okay for us to reveal this now. Okay. Um, Because there's something far more surprising coming up in a bit. Yeah. Let's hold on to that. But uh, that letter is from Banks' dying mother, telling him that Wes Collins is his father. Yeah. And it's a very specific kind of typecasting that Mark Hamill has suffered. (laughs) Guy who needs to be told who his father is. Yeah. It's it's almost as if he should be hosting the Maury Povich show. (laughs) (laughs) So now with Bert out of the picture, uh, Scott and Lewis fall easily into buddy cop banter. Let's hear some of it. I know this is one of your favorite parts. Oh, yeah. Why not somebody else? And why is he in Colin's own station wagon? Doesn't scam out, does it? Nope, not all the way. And even hating somebody, you can't tell me you ever went headhunting like this kid is. No. But I did rip off a couple of shorts from some rich guys like you just so I could taste the power myself. Shorts? Okay. Can we pause it? Can we pause it? Just to be clear, I did not mishear this. He just said... I ripped off a couple of shirts. Yes, that's that's how he pronounces it. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, I've been known to rip off a couple of shirts myself. Uh, but uh, what the hell are they talking about? Well, it's explained in context uh, as the conversation continues. Okay. Gets you there shorter, don't it? I guess it does at that. So that refers to a car. I know what happened to my... Right. Because the second time he says, it gets you there shorter. Okay. I mean, come on. Is that actual slang that's ever been used ever? I, I don't know. I don't know. Garden party, shorts. <laughs> Th- this movie has its own language. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, um, so Wes Collins 
He has a family ranch in Malibu. So his wife and daughter flee there while uh, Collins follows. And uh, let's watch Collins' arrival. And uh, Chris, you want to point something out with this one? Okay. All right. Ranch out of Malibu. I'm headed your way. Now keep me wired. 10-4. Don't lose him. Can we stop it here? There it is. Now, this is the West Collins, their second residence. Mm. Their first residence, their dog was just brutally murdered. And what do, what do they decide to do to protect themselves from the man who killed that first dog? Let's send the second dog out in the yard so he can warn us. <laughs> the first dog did such a good job. <laughs> not the smartest clan, the Collinses. No, not, or, or they just don't care. They probably have a whole herd of dogs that they don't care about. I guess. <laughs> All right, we're good with this one. Uh, the the next one is the right one. I mean, uh, fifty one minutes. Now Lewis and Scott, they're in a car chase with Banks. Right. They've gained on him, and then they decided to do something a little bizarre. Right. <laughs> comes Mark Hamill's character. Yeah, there he goes. And there come the cops who, instead of following him... Then they get back in and follow him again. Why did they stop? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, uh, do they catch up with him? Uh, no, no, I don't think they do. They lose him, of course. Right. And then they, uh, they find the car abandoned, then head to the Collins Ranch. Oh, uh, boy. They have a word with Wes, who seems to just want to put all this nonsense behind him. Yeah. The two detectives agree uh, Collins is probably hiding something. Yeah. And oh, boy, is he? Perhaps a prior arrest <laughs> is what they're thinking. You know, maybe some shoplifting. Right. Maybe uh, some, uh, maybe broke into a car, stole some change. Well, I believe. Public drunkenness. Right. I believe he, uh. In his records, he alluded to the fact that he uh, may have done some time for uh, getting into a bar fight. Yeah. You know, something like that. That's the sort of thing they're imagining. So, um, Lewis checks into it and meets up with Scott to tell him what he's learned. And uh, I don't know what you think it might be, but you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> What'd you get? From the subject of Mr. Wes Collins. He did time, all right. Did two years. However, it's not exactly the way he tells it to the public. What do you mean? It didn't happen in a bar, and it wasn't a tanked-up truck driver he took out. He punched out a six-month-old baby. Jeez, Quinn Martin. That should have been in Tales of the Unexpected. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> just <laughs> nobody could have anticipated <laughs> that result when they uh, ran the make on the license plate or whatever. I don't know how this works. Oh, man. So. <clears throat> <laughs> oh. 
I'm sorry. I didn't know it hit me that hard. <laughs> Seeing it again. <laughs> that may be my favorite scene of all the ones we've watched. Out of all the movies. You think when somebody was reading the script, they're like, hey, man, I think this is a little bit over the top. <laughs> Can we make it a two-year-old? <laughs> Oh, I'm a little. <clears throat> Maybe he just shook the baby. I mean, <laughs> no, we got the haymaker. Ah, <sighs> so Banks steals a car, and uh, on the car's radio, he hears a radio broadcast uh, revealing that Collins is holed up at his Malibu ranch. Uh, meantime, Scott Don Johnson, Scott has a theory. You say he could be Collins' kid. Collins gets busted 21 years ago in Odessa, Texas for child abuse. What do you figure? And Banks is 21 years old. And the letter he got three days ago was from an M.B. Fitch. A Mary Beth Banks filed the charges on Collins and sent him to jail. He gets two years, she marries Fitch, kid gets shuffled off to an orphanage. You think there's something in that letter about Collins? The woman was dying. Well, she might have tried to ease her conscience and blew the boy's mind. <laughs> the boy's mind was blown a long time ago. Look at it. You got a kid here who's been shuffled around from institution to institution. Never had anybody or anything. Nothing. No identity. So that explains remember- it. Yeah. That explains his obsession with Wes Collins. But no one ever says, so he was the six-month-old baby that got punched? Somehow that never... <laughs> comes up not in this conversation right does it come up later i don't remember i don't, don't recall it ever coming up again okay. well um actually i think it does uh anyway well all well and good banks is after collins because he abused collins uh he abused him when banks was an infant and abandoned him yeah but all the chaos that's gone on started over a complaint about poor customer service <laughs> right that seems a bit extreme okay so uh, now we're going to see collins address this You don't remember this? No. Okay, let's take a look. Boy. So Eugene is not your son. They didn't prove it. They took it to court, but they didn't prove it. And I never believed it for a minute. The court didn't either. But you did beat him, though. Sounds pretty bad, don't it? Yeah. It was bad. (laughs) I didn't hit him but once. But boy, it was bad. Yeah. Why'd you do it? Why did I do it? Sitting on that bunk looking at them bars, I must have asked myself that question 10,000 times. You know something? I never did come up with a good answer. I was drunk, mad, mad at Mary Beth, mad at me, mad at the whole damn world, and there was that kid bawling and squalling and... Well, I just want him to shut up. <laughs> no, no. No, I, I want him to be gone. I just want him to, to go away. Uh, to stop me from feeling like, well... Yeah, he says, uh, I didn't hit him but once. Right. Just once. <laughs> One shot at an infant. That was it. It's not my fault the kid was a tomato can. So Banks learns the location of the Collins, uh, the Collins Ranch with the help of a liquor store clerk who draws him a map. We saw some of that in this scene. Oh, is that what that was? That's why I didn't realize what we were about to watch. Yeah. Um, what, why would the liquor store... 
Never mind. It doesn't matter. He, he asked him. Well, they didn't have GPS in those days. Right. But or, how- or cough medicine. Yeah. So uh, police are prepared to confront him when he arrives at the, at the ranch. But Collins kind of goes into business for himself. Put that away, boy. You're not going to need it. Eugene, I know all about it. I know everything. You don't know nothing. I know you need help, boy, and I want to help you. Listen, I don't want nothing from you. You hear me? You just want to see you dead. Stop it! Come on, take it easy. Don't hurt the boy. You go to hell. You hear me? You go to hell. I thought you said he wasn't yours. He's not. But he could have been. Yeah, so uh, that's basically the end of things. Yeah. But I don't like the declarative he's not. We don't know that. Very well could have been from what we've been led to believe. Who knows? Yeah, it seems (laughs) it's at least... Likely, yeah, that he's the father. Um, now, is it worse if he punched somebody else's kid? I don't even know. <laughs> it's pretty bad all around, I guess. Yeah, I don't think it's a good thing to be doing anyway. But uh, yeah, that was a shocking revelation. Yeah. <clears throat> Anything else you'd like to say about this before uh, we rate it? Uh, no, no. I actually hadn't even considered a rating until you just said this. Okay. So why don't you go first? Okay, well, I'll give it three out of five. And it might be artificial because uh, most of the movies we watch, it's better made than most of them because most of those are disposable. But as a TV pilot, which, by the way, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, a lot of uh, TV pilots were made for TV motion pictures, and they got picked up based on the rating to go to to series. Yeah. In fact, I don't think this is even the first one we watched that was a potential pilot. Probably not, yeah. I think the uh, it may have been the very first one we watched, the uh, Deadly Justice of... Or it was just Deadly Justice, Deadly right? Justice, yeah. I believe that was also a, an attempt at a pilot, but we, we couldn't confirm that. But uh. And th- those do uh, seem to be better made because they're not disposable. Yeah. They're meant to become a property, a franchise even, that lasts uh, years, perhaps decades. So you gave it a three. I gave it three out of five. I'd also like to say, uh, what would they do for the second episode? <laughs> <laughs> what if there's a, let's say... <laughs> It'd be hard to get that many marquee players right. onto the screen at the same time, especially if there's an airport movie being shot that same week. You're kind of screwed. Yeah. You're also going to have trouble topping that reveal. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one direction I can think you would go, but <laughs> this is network television. Yeah, right, right, right. So uh, what do you say? I say three out of five Meredith Baxters. You give it? Uh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give it four. Because uh, I, I enjoyed it. A lot of these movies I get bored and I'm tooling around on the internet while I'm watching it. Uh, this one had me pretty captivated. And uh, when they said he punched a six-month-old, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He punched out a six-month-old baby. Uh, I mean, bravo. Bravo. <laughs> so four, four Meredith's for me. You know what America wants to know, though? When they, heard, when they heard that line, they thought, wait, did this take place in a movie theater? <laughs> Before we pass judgment, yeah. was this in a movie theater or an airplane? Yeah. 
No reason to be going to a movie with a six-month-old. Get a babysitter, folks. <laughs> so uh, anything else you'd like to talk about? No, I think it's time to wrap this up. i got to go rip off a couple of shirts. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> In that case, uh, Chris Brigani, I'm Steve Reeves. Ask Greeby. Ask you, Wawa. Tigers. Eat them all. We did it. <laughs> <laughs>